special thank you to our sponsor, Associated Industries of Massachusetts, also known as AIM. AIM is the largest business association in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. To learn more about AIM, you can visit aimnet.org. That's A-I-M-N-E-T dot org. Hi, I'm Juliet Mayers. Welcome to Entering the Inspiration Zone with Juliet Mayers, a podcast for business professionals and entrepreneurs seeking positive connection and professional development. As an accomplished author, speaker, DEI strategist, and member of Forbes Coaches Council, I am living the dream, and I love helping others achieve their dreams. Each episode, I will share with you actionable steps that you can take to build the work and life you've imagined. Welcome to episode eight. I'm so excited to have with me Lynn Perry Wooten, the president of Simmons University. And Lynn is also an expert in organizational development, transformation, and a seasoned academic. I am so delighted. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you. It's an honor to be here on your podcast. Yeah, so excited to have you. And so again, Lynn, congratulations on your fantastic book, Arrive and Thrive. It is an amazing, amazing book. And I really enjoyed reading it. And I encourage those of you who have not yet read the book to be sure to pick up a copy. It is a fantastic book. And so we're going to be picking one of those areas to talk about today. There are seven principles in Arrive and Thrive, and our focus is going to be on resilience. So this episode will be focused on resilience. And before we get started, as I often ask my guests to do, I think it's important to, for you to get to know Lynn. And I think it's best to hear from her about her journey. So Lynn, tell us about your background and how you got to where you are. So I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Philadelphia is a lot of a city like Boston, but left Philadelphia at 18 for college. And interestingly, wanted to be a home economics major, but had a group of aunts who said, no, you want to major in business. One had her MBA from Wharton, one was the other accountant. And I happened to check off business on my PSATs. And colleges started writing me. And so I was an accounting major in undergrad, then went on to Duke to get my MBA. And, but always knew I was a teacher. I mean, my friends called me. My nickname was the professor growing up. <laughs> Off of the professor on Gilligan Island. So always knew that I wanted to be an educator or a teacher, those type of things. Went to Michigan and got my PhD. Met my husband there and my best friend, my co-author. And so my whole life has been as, educator, teaching leadership, the knowing, the doing, and the being in it, writing about it, studying leaders and studying organizations, have worked at a variety of universities, started at Florida, University of Michigan's where I spent most of my career, and then Cornell and now Simmons. Now, often people say, well, where do you, what did I learn about arrive and thrive and good leadership? Like many of you, I learned it in the workplace, but I also learned it from my mother and my husband and my children and the communities that I've lived in have influenced my life. All those networks you talk about in your book mean so much to me and they have made me who I am. You know, you attended my investiture recently and I talked about that journey. It was amazing, (laughs) by the way. Your your investiture was 
inspiring. Thank you. That each place I was in is when I, where I entered the community and I built a network around me, a network so that I could do what my professional calling is, but also that I could give up back to others and help them do their calling. Fantastic. Fantastic. And here you are. So you started at Simmons <laughs> in the midst of the pandemic. So talk about resilience. Tell us about that. Talk about resilience. So you've heard me say that I came to college in 84 and never left. And I've had a variety of roles, right? And so in some ways, I was inspired by people like Jeanetta Coleman. I always thought maybe one day I wanted to be a college president and especially a college president of a women's college. So before joining Simmons, I was happy deaning it at Cornell University. And, you know, the headhunters reached out to me and very much a lot of people um, encouraged me to take the Simmons job. Now, I took the Simmons job on February the 6th, which is my husband's birthday. That's how I remember. That's when I signed the dotted lines and the board and voted me in. You go back to February 6th of 20, who knew we were going to be living in this pandemic era? Right. I thought I would be starting this new job as president the way I had seen all my peer presidents start opening up a university, being on campus, spending time with students. In the beginning of March, I come to start looking for my presidential housing, excited, bring my daughter who's on spring break from boarding school and get a call that I have to come back to Cornell because we are about to shut down the university for a pandemic. Wow. This changed my whole world about how I thought about resiliency. Now I had written about resiliency for more than a decade, but to live it as a leader in my personal and professional life was a different thing. Yeah. So the model that we talk about resiliency is, is that, you know, whenever you're confronted with a crisis, we all get scared at first, Juliet. Yes. We saw it in the hoarding of paper towels <laughs> and toilet papers, right? We all get the panic bowl. And I have right. all these categories I talk about. Um, paralysis analysis, see no evil, hear no evil, um, depression, yes. anxiety, hoarding, and all of those type of things. And so we need to call ourselves out and say, okay, life is changing, but I have the inner strength to be resilient. And so the first thing I had to do is I, we need to take a pause. There were some days yes. at the beginning of the pandemic where I was starting to lead Simmons and I was wrapping up at Cornell that I had to just take a pause. I was exhausted. Yes. You know, I was exhausted. So take giving yourself that grace is the first part of resiliency we talk about in the book. Yeah, I love, absolutely love that whole concept of grace when I saw that, because I, I actually used that. I don't know if you saw my last newsletter, <laughs> I actually talked about how important it is to give ourselves and each other that grace. Yes. Yeah. Yes, give ourselves and each other because we were all struggling. Um, you know, my husband, daughter, and I, we spent the first couple of months in the pandemic in Ithaca working remotely, and we each had our little pods. Mm -hmm. My son was starting in for the bar in the Chicago and Ann Arbor area. And so we we had to give each other that grace. Right. So that's the first part. Building upon your framework next, though, is, is that once I gave myself the grace and I couldn't sleep anymore and I couldn't try new recipes and all those type of things, I needed a vision. Yes. I had to acknowledge that the pandemic was here to stay yes. and what was going to be that vision in my personal and professional life. So yes. for example, at Simmons, we were online all of last year. And so part of the vision was how do I still create transformational experiences and high quality workplaces for my students, faculty, and staff? Yeah. That vision in this online virtual world. 
So visioning is so important. You know, how do I create relationships with my family and friends in this virtual world? Right. So creating that vision about how I wanted to leave Simmons, how I wanted to wrap up Cornell was very important to me. And then how yeah. I wanted to live my personal life and, and, and serve my community. Um, yeah. I was coming into a new community. Imagine being a president where you're opening up a line virtually, you're dealing with family things. I had to coordinate like five different moves. Wow. And so this results, so all of this was built into my vision about right. how I was going to do this. It was the first part. Yeah. Now, you know, from your book. So the vision is the <laughs> easy part. Then, well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> bro, we all can be creative. For, 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 for some of us, but then for others. And, and I want to just interject here because you referenced my book and thank you for that. Uh, Lynn is referencing my, my book, which is the, the Guide to Strategic Networking. Dream, plan, create, achieve, and that those last four are the basic framework that she's talking about. Uh, yeah. So, 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 getting back to this this vision. So, for some people, a vision uh, may be easy, but you know, you had this grand vision, and then you had to pivot very quickly. I had to pivot and reimagine my vision. Right. What was it like? You know, I had people on my team that I had to leave when I got here for seven that I never saw in person the whole year because of the pandemic. Yeah. So I had to envision what was the student experience going to be like? Mm-hmm. What was the faculty staff experience going to be like? How was I going to establish relationships with my board? And then how was I going to get to know the Boston community, my new home? Right. Those were all in the vision and then manage and have a life with my family and friends. <laughs> this was all in this visioning process. Now, part of the vision is, is that you do have to think visually and you have to create it. But the other two big ones is I had to say, what do I have to learn differently? I have some things mm-hmm. I have to stop doing. So learning is important. Some things that, so yes. I love to read books. I love to map out. I had, to, I had to have a learning plan and go back mm-hmm. to plan for the vision. And then I had to ask myself also, who do I need in my network to help me plan the vision? And thanks to Simmons and my board and the people in Boston, I had a great team of yeah. people who really thought about, you know, who did I want to meet in Boston government, the Boston corporate sector, my right. alum, my students. And I did all this virtually for right. my first year because I didn't have right. opportunity, but right. the plan had to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And I also yeah. want to say thank you for the, I remember having that meeting with you as an alumna of Simmons, I was thrilled to have met you even it was virtually and I guess it's still virtually right still virtually, I can't wait we're, to we're, in person we're still we're still virtual but um you also talked about creating these support circles yeah a circle of support talk to me about that you know part of we talk about in the book is being your authentic self and to be your authentic self you have to know what drives you and energizes you and your values And when I talk about my authentic self, I talk about my identity as a mother, a wife, an African-American woman. I talk about my strengths, but I also talk about my values. And one of my most important values other than learning excellence is community. Hmm. And community is nothing but support circles. I was recently um, for Mother's Day visiting my mother and I was, she's 87. And I was, you know, you, you get, you know, you get really sad when your parents are aging. And I was thanking her because the gift she gave me is the importance of network and support centers. I was the only child. Wow. And my, yeah. But my mother believed in support centers and network. she had a web of girlfriends. I raised in church. I was a girl scout. Um, she believed in those support networks. 
And throughout my journey, when I left home in Philadelphia, wherever I went, I built those networks. Now, why are networks so important to the plan and achieving the vision? One is one person can't do it all. Correct. You know, there's the African proverb that, you know, you can go alone if you want to go fast, but if you want to go far, you need your village. You need right. your support networks. Right. And so the other principle that's big to me is that support networks are important because I'm here on this earth to serve others. And I do it through my network. So I learn from them. We give each other support, but it's a way for me to do my calling and to share my talents. And so during the pandemic, it changed. Yeah. You know, I talked about my family. They were an important part, but also my girlfriend support networks, those everyday text messages, um, those Zoom meetings for, you know, the <laughs> wine, chew and chat, all of those type of things. Yeah. And then my professional networks. Going right. to professional meetings virtually were part of the resilience plan. Meeting people all are part of resiliency. You have to have your networks. Right. You can't get far without them. Yeah. Yeah. You're, well, you're, you know, you're preaching to the choir, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think sometimes though, people don't seem to realize that it's all integrated. One of the concepts I loved when we spoke earlier was the fact that you talked about the integration of your work and life. And oftentimes as professionals, so many people feel like you have to separate that. And I think that's changing with the pandemic a bit. How powerful it is to be able to have those circles come together and to have those different points of support. So what would you say to a professional who is progressing? There's so many people who are struggling with being, whether it's being a mom or trying to take care of working from home or working in the office and dealing with the pandemic and dealing with elder care and all of these other issues. What would you say to them? So this important part, I want to talk about two things. Living an integrative life is what I call it, definitely requires support networks. And my life is a bunch of overlapping circles like a Venn diagram. And all the support networks come together for my well-being. So I want to talk about how that relates to well-being. Mm-hmm. But when I'm working with young executives, such you said, I have them do a network map and think about their personal board of director and then think about their life goals, their professional goals, and their well-being. And I know you can chime in too, but there are a couple of things that I think you need when you think about these networks and the plan and how you're going to achieve it. You know, you need your good friends, right? You need people in your profession and you need to think about the peers in your profession, the people who are under you and the people above you and mm-hmm. map that out in the networks. And then you need mentors, sponsors, and coaches and, you need, and, and various things. Like there's some people who have been a mentor to me right now for how I navigate elder care for my mother. Um, I might have coaches on being a mom or transition and moving, but, you know, a mentor is someone who's really going to guide you, be that sage and give you advice. A coach is someone like an athletic coach who's going to stretch you, give you a goal, and you got to achieve that goal. And then your network has to have those sponsors, those people, when you're not in the room, exactly, they are elevating your personal brand. Exactly. And all of the, and then there are two that Malcolm Gladwell talks about that I tell people they need to think about. And what are those? The connector, the connector people like mm-hmm. you, Julian and Colette, like the, yeah. the connectors. Every yeah. town you yeah. go, and often young executives don't do that. Find who knows everybody. Right. Those right. connectors, and they're right. going to connect you and help you achieve your goals. Right. And then they're the mavens. Um, you know, I have I have a, a mentor right now, my aunt's roommate, who's who's a maven. The maven is a person who knows 
everything about everything. You know, they know they know who has such and such on sale. They read every book. <laughs> They can tell you the best transportation system and where to go for this and where to go for that. They're a repository of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So having the maven. So the networks are important. And then part of your vision and your plan has to be your well-being. Absolutely. And how you're going to live this integrative life. And so what I'm constantly thinking about in my vision board is my career is one asset. It's only one bucket of the well-being. Yeah. Now, do you think that people's, I think sometimes people feel like, you know, I've heard people say, you know, it's, I want my career separate or I want my, right. And, and, and the fact of the matter is the energy you have, you're, you are the energy source. And so if you don't have those things aligned and you're not thinking that they're all pulling energy you know, then we get into trouble, right? You know, which is why I love what you talked about with well-being. So what would you say to people who are struggling with that, figuring I don't really want to mix work and, you know, in my life? You have a great example there of you only have so much energy and so much time. And it takes energy and time when you're trying to keep those in separate domains. Right. The flip side of what you just presented is that when you bring them together, you're interested, you're being more synergistic, you're being more efficient. You're really, the economist in me is saying you're achieving economies of scale and scope in your life. And so I have multiple examples when I'm talking to young executives. I raised my kids in college towns. And so college towns have lots of resources. I call Boston the Uber college town. (laughs) So, right. So, so for raising my kids, I knew that I wanted to go out with my husband at time or my friends. You can get cheap babysitters in college towns. So my kids (laughs) had a cadre of babysitters that I took advantage of because I was in college town of college students. Yeah. Likewise, in college towns, you can do lots of things free. You can make an outing going to the university's museum or going to a (laughs) football game or those type of things. In my investor, I joke that when I took my kids on vacation, it was usually a professional conference, too. So I combined a conference (laughs) and a vacation. And one of my friends emailed me, who's a professor also said, I thought I was the only person who told my kids conferences were vacations. (laughs) Well, integration, (laughs) right? (laughs) Integration. Right. Which then reduces your level of anxiety and stress or guilt as moms, right? (laughs) Guilt as moms. Yeah, Going yeah. back to well-being again, yeah. uh, one of my things is wherever I live, Juliet, I think about what is that town? What are the resources known for? And what can I use those assets in my own learning journey and for resiliency? So for three years, I lived in Ithaca, New York. And um, during the pandemic, I spent a lot of time. If you know anything about Ithaca, New York, where Cornell is, it's the, um, it's the founding or one of the center places for being a vegetarian. So the Moosewood Cafe and a lot of the, like the Clintons, when they went there to do a vegan diet. So I have to visit. (laughs) One of the things I did during the pandemic, because there were so many experts is I decided I was going to go on a plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. And so I used all the resources once again, while I was living in Ithaca and a dean at Cornell and creating that integrative life to get all the experts who were there to launch me off on my plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. So that's another example of using your place in your space to achieve well-being and live the integrative life. 
I absolutely love it. And now I'm going to have to visit because I'm not a vegetarian. I'm a pescatarian. I'm plant-based. Right. Plant-based. Right. So I am, uh, I'll definitely have to visit <laughs> at the canal. So the other thing that I loved in, in going back to the book and tra- talking about fostering resilience is this resiliency diagnostic. And I, I hope that people will get the book and really take a look at it. And so on page 110, for those so 110 here, I'm taking out my book too. <laughs> and I have to say, I was very proud of myself when I went through and took the di- diagnostic. I thought, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing, doing great. That said, as you said, you know, depending on what's happening in your life, obviously, sometimes you have to reframe or re-envision right. or do things differently. But I love the idea of really going down and just to give it people a a quick idea of some of the things on the list of questions that you're asked is, so I see change as an opportunity. It does not make me anxious. So you would say either, uh, you know, I need to develop that skill or I'm moderately comfortable with that skill. I'm confident with that skill. And I think this idea of having that diagnostic, so people who may be struggling or not quite sure how to increase their resiliency, that's a great place to start. And to see what you're doing well and what your gaps, because I don't like change. And so I know that. (laughs) And so I work hard to say, who do I need to help me manage change? What can I learn? And go back to what we said and how I can give myself grace. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. And so one of the other things that I would love for you to to think about is what advice, you know, when we talk about the implications of not being resilient and we're seeing it play out in terms of mental health and which is one of the topics that uh, this podcast show will be addressing, but we see it in uh, mental health and in other areas of life. So what are some of the things that you would say, what are the implications uh, for professionals of not you know, really structuring the integration and things that would support that resiliency? We see burnout. So one of them is we, we definitely see burnout and we're seeing a lot of that um, during this kind of pandemic era, this burnout. We see um, not focusing on our vision and what we really want to achieve in life. And so we're not able to be our best self if we're not creating these pathway to resiliency. And then we're not positioning ourselves for that next career move that goal that we want to achieve in our personal life. And then finally, um, when we don't have that roadmap for resiliency, we're not thriving in the spaces we're in now. And that's what the book Mm. is about is we're constantly arriving and thriving. And resiliency is a practice to say in this moment, you know, let's go back to the pandemic era or that new job or that new life experience. How can I be resilient when I've arrived in this moment and thrive? I mean, it may not be the best situation, but in every moment, there are things that can bring us joy and help us thrive and then prepare us for that next phase on the journey. Yeah, I, I love that. I also love the title of the book, <laughs> Arrive and Thrive, right. because a lot of people arrive, but they're not necessarily thriving. And exactly. so it's, it's so powerful, even just the, the title itself, and then so many powerful nuggets of wisdom and practical, practical advice. So, so thank you. And also to you and your colleagues for your two co-authors for writing this fantastic book. So we're going to be getting 
down, winding down our conversation of, as much as I hate to. And so in a minute, I'm, I'm going to ask you to provide people with how they can reach you, uh, whether it's your website right. or anything else that, that you would like to say. And before that, I want to ask for what you see as the key call to actions for those who want to live resilient lives. You know, what I see is the cool, the call to action is start with grace, but then say, even in this resiliency phase that I'm being called upon, how can I be my best self and how can I help others be their best selves and associating those practices about, as you say, you have to have this vision, you yeah. got to plan for it and then think how you're going to create and achieve it. And if you follow those practices and constantly invest in your networks and learning, you will be resilient. Love it. Love it. So Lynn, tell us how, tell our listeners how they can get yes. in contact with you. So please follow me on all the social medias. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want to personal message me, you can message president at Simmons.edu. Look forward to connecting with your viewers on LinkedIn. Excellent. Excellent. So we have reached the end of episode eight. I'm so excited to have had Lynn Perry Wooten, the president of Simmons University. Lynn, thank you so much for this time today. I've enjoyed our time together and I'm sure I'll be seeing a lot more of you. I do appreciate all of the wonderful nuggets you've had for our listeners. And thank so, you for having me. Oh, absolutely. And you're welcome to come back at any time. <laughs> so, so for those of you, if you've enjoyed today's show, please drop a note. Uh, also check out the show notes. And I, until next time, thank you for listening. And we love having you at Entering the Inspiration Zone. Thank you for joining us on Entering the Inspiration Zone. Until next time, we would love to hear from you. So if you'd like to join our mailing list, please send an email to info at inspirationzonellc.com. That's info at inspirationzonellc.com. And be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Thank you and have a fabulous day.